Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I pray that we would grow in faith, grow in our relationship with you, that you'd mold us more and more to the image of our Savior. Lord, I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Pray for anybody who's new here today, they would feel welcomed and loved. And I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. So Lord, be our teacher, minister to every heart, comfort, convict, rebuke if necessary. Lord, your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So 2 John, it's the same guy who wrote 1 John, amen? And so 2 John, again, this is sometime later after 1 John, but still kind of the same uh, focus that we're going to see as we go through it. He's speaking this time, where in 1 John, he was really speaking to the church in general. And this time he's either speaking, depending on how you interpret it, to a, an individual family or a local church. And he's going to exhort them and encourage them very much in the same way we saw in 1 John. But he's writing this letter, again, in a time when you've got false teachers on the, on the inside, and you've got persecution from the outside. So this early church, as we come to this time, all the other apostles at this time have been martyred for their faith. John is the one remaining. More than likely already, he's been boiled in oil but wouldn't die because God wasn't done with them. Amen. And now he's writing this letter as somebody who knew Jesus, who walked with him, who spent three years with him, who touched him, the, the one who was the last one at the cross of Calvary. And when he hears things being taught contrary to who he knows Jesus to be, John, used by the Holy Spirit, is writing letters to bring correction and to exhort them and to encourage them. So he addressed again to this case to the elect lady and her children. So that lady could be a local church or that could be a family in danger of the same thing again of undergoing the similar temptations that we saw in first John. And again, while John the apostle is the apostle of love, he emphasizes love yet again in this letter, he's going to talk about an ingredient that is so important to the church. And here's what it is. Truth. So it's truth in love. Amen. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. It's why we speak the truth in love. Does our world need some truth right about now? Amen? Prop one passed, and that means now that you can kill your baby up to 28 days after it's born. We live in an evil and a wicked time, but here's the good news. God is still on the throne no matter who's in office. Amen? And we can trust him, and at the same time, we are called to be the ones who deliver the truth to a lost and dying world. We're going to see when we get to verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet them. One of the compromises that was taking place was people were, because in those days they didn't have a Motel 6, and if people were traveling, uh, if there were inns to stay in, they were usually kind of places of ill repute. So a lot of times people would invite people into their house. And some of these false teachers were coming in and preaching this false gospel. And some of the Christians were inviting them into their home. And they're going to be rebuked for that. And here's why. Again, we want to minister to people but have no fellowship with them. And the last thing we want to do is prop up anybody preaching a false gospel. Amen? We don't want to prop that up. Look, when the Mormons come to my house, I'm kind, I'm loving, I'm gracious, but I'm not giving them any money. Can I get an amen to that? 
I'm not going to help them. One time I followed them from house to house and stood at the curb and said, they're false prophets. Don't talk to these people. (laughs) So the reality is that when we want to minister to the world, but we do not want to compromise the truth in the name of love. Well, I just want to love them. Well, if you're going to love them, you got to tell the truth. Amen. And I just want to tell the truth. But if you're going to tell the truth, you need to do it in love. And that's really what this entire uh, book is about. And again, Christians are to love supernaturally, but stand for the truth at the same time. And John's letter is going to serve as a warning to the elect lady to guard herself against false teachers. Remember the Gnostics, they believe that Jesus only came in spirit. And they believed as long as your spirit was saved, your flesh could do whatever it wanted. Boy, that sounds convenient, doesn't it? I got the get out of hell free card, but I can live like hell until I get to heaven. No, that's not what the word of God teaches. Amen? That as believers, we should be different. We should live different. Again, they did not acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh. It says, let he who, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. These warnings to keep others from joining the growing numbers of false teachers, and we must have fellowship with God, and we must have fellowship with Christians, but we must not have fellowship with a false and a lost and a dying world. If you have your outline, grab it. So this is an outline for what we're going to look at the next two weeks. You're going to see the detail uh, for, for this morning. So 2 John, I titled the message, Standing for the Truth and Love. And that will be the same uh, outline for next week when we look in detail at the second half. So obeying God's command to love without compromising the truth. We live in a time right now saying, you know, here's a big one, love wins. Isn't that a big, love wins. Doesn't that sound like that should be a great thing? But when people say it is, when somebody's living something contrary to the word of God, but because they love each other, it doesn't matter what they do. So you can do anything as long as you do it in the name of love. No, we need to obey the truth and love at the same time. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. So we're going to see practicing the truth this morning and then protecting the truth next Sunday. So in practicing the truth, walking in obedience to God's commands, we have three points this morning. Trust, truth, and love abides in every believer. Do you know that you don't just know the truth, but you have the truth dwelling in you? Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, so we, ha- we don't just know the truth, we have the truth, and the truth abides in us. And again, truth doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Amen. The Word of God has always been right. We, we don't need any new additions, Joseph Smith or anybody else that comes along with a new book to add to the, to the Bible. The Word of God is sufficient. Not only does truth and love abide in every believer, we need to walk in the truth. Uh, if there's no truth, there's not love. And if there's no love, there's not truth. I mean, truth is hard to, to receive. And rejoicing greatly that others walk in the truth. We're going to see that. And we're going to see it in Third John as well, where he says, I know no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. There's nothing greater that a parent wants. There's nothing greater that a pastor wants. There's nothing greater that a Christian wants than to see other people walking in the truth. Amen? And, we, and guys, we have the antidote to the, to the death serum, if you will, the thing that's killing everyone. And what it is, it's sin. And we have the answer, and we know what it is, and we must not keep it to ourselves. Amen? So may we walk in the truth. We're not walking by the truth. We're not walking around the truth. We should be walking in the truth. And then finally, walk in love. And again, no love, truth is hard to receive. 
You know, if you just yell and scream at people the truth, they're not going to really receive it. And that's not how the Lord, that's not how Jesus ministered to people. And he's our example. We want to speak the truth, but we want to make sure we're doing it in love. Love and truth are not mutually exclusive. People will say, well, if you love me, you would just accept me for the way that I am. No, if I loved you, I'm going to tell you the truth that you're a sinner just like me in desperate need of a savior. Amen. So we don't want to dial down the message because dialing down the message is only bringing the harm that we're giving to the one we're giving it to. Again, both truth and love should be evident in every Christian's walk. And then finally, love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. Your feelings ever lie to you. What's the answer? And your feelings can be real. You feel them, but they're not always accurate. They're not always, you know, and again, if everybody went by their feelings, we'd get married and, and, and divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried five times in a year. Amen. I don't feel that way this moment. It's beyond feelings. It's a choice that we make. It's the commitment that we make. It's the vow that we make that we're one in Christ. Amen. And then finally, by this you'll know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And one of the compliments we get often in this fellowship is that we are very loving and praise the Lord for that because we know that's what the Lord is doing, not us. So 2 John, standing for the truth and love. We're going to look at point number uh, one here today, practice the truth. And then there we'll start off with truth and love abides in every believer. Verse one, the elder. He starts off with the elder. Again, if you've been coming here, you know this. When letters were written at that time, they were not typed up in some small piece of paper. They were often written on scrolls. And when you would open up the scroll, instead of having to pull the scroll all the way down to find out who wrote this letter to you, they would always begin with who wrote the letter first. So we go, dear John, to yours truly. They began by telling us who it is. And he says, the elder. It gives us a glimpse of what's going on in the early church, what Christians are deal with, dealing with, and they get this letter from somebody that would have gotten their attention. When they open the letter, as they're facing all this you know, persecution from the outside, false teaching from the inside, many of them, again, have been running for their lives, and, here's this, and the apostles have all been martyred outside of John himself, and this is the world they're living in. These are the trials they're going through, and then they get a letter, and it just says, the elder. Now, it's very clear to me that he didn't have to give them his name because they would know who this was from. They would know that the elder, the last living apostle, the man who God has used to speak uh, for him into people's lives was the apostle John. So he, the elder presumed again that the recipients of the letter knew exactly who it was. And from the earliest times, Christians have understood that this was the apostle John's writing. And certainly the tone and form and content of the writing also confirmed that he is the author. So in John's case, is an accurate representation, that word elder, of who he is in more ways than one. First of all, by the time he writes this, he's very old. He's at toward the end of his life. We know we're going to see Revelation. Some believe he wrote this after Revelation, but certainly it was written in the very last parts of his life. Here's a man who, it's about 60 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Most people believe that, that these letters were written around 85 to 90 AD. The Lord had ascended back into heaven, you know, roughly 33 AD. So 50 to 60 years have gone by, and he's one of the few that remains that walked with Jesus. 
And so as he is writing, this is something that they would take heart to. They would stop and be still to hear from him. And you know what? Wouldn't you just love it if Jesus just came into your living room this afternoon and sat down at the dinner table and said, okay, guys, let me tell you what you need to do. Who's up for that? <laughs> Amen? And, and at the same time, to some degree, it's not what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We open up his word. He gives us direction. Most often when we don't know what to do, we haven't spent time seeking from the Lord what we should do. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. So here he is, the elder. This is somebody they would be excited to hear from. The word elder there, you know, it's presbyteros. What is, why am I telling you that? Well, that's where they get the term for Presbyterian church. The, the reason a Presbyterian church is a Presbyterian church is they are an elder-run church. So the elders oversee the church, and that's where they get their name, Presbyterian. And so it speaks of one who is both spiritually mature and has been called by God to a position of spiritual authority within the church. So elder doesn't really always have anything to, as much to do with age as it does spiritual maturity. But certainly in John's case, he was both an older man and again, probably the most spiritually mature man on the planet at this time. We talk about this every time we get to elder or pastor. It bears repeating. In the Bible, we have three words that are interchangeable for the same man. The elder is who he is. He's spiritually mature. Bishop is what he does. He oversees the people. And pastor is how he does it with the heart of a shepherd. And so elder, bishop, and pastor, whenever you see those in the scripture, it's all the same guy. It's just describing three attributes of his calling. And again, a pastor is a servant who is willing to lay down his life for the sake of others. An elder accurately speaks of who John is spiritually. It also accurately describes who John is physically. Again, at the youngest, he's in his late 70s. He could have been in his 90s. And again, in the Middle Eastern culture, the elderly were respected and honored. The older you get, the more highly esteemed you were in those days and the greater authority you had. So John spiritually called, again, spiritually called, and gifted, mature, physically, man of age and wisdom, esteem and authority, a man whose words would be greatly respected, received with both reverence and great anticipation. So they open the letter, they see it's from John, and whether this is being delivered, as we will see, to an individual family, possible, but I think more so it was probably a local church. Because we are the bride of Christ, amen? So the elect lady, how many of us are, are of the elect? Are you of the elect? Raise your hand. If you're born again, you're one of the elect. Amen? So the elect lady, that would make sense that he's speaking to the church, and probably this letter was given to a local church, but of course, it has application to everybody within the church. So these two words brought great weight, and John, the last living apostle, is going to speak into their lives. All the other apostles, you hear people, by the way, people use the term apostle. I don't, there's no more apostles. Amen? And people, if you introduce yourself to me, I'm the, I'm the apostolic apostle of the great high, you know, I'm a steam, just get over yourself and be quiet because it's not true. The Bible says there are 12 pillars in heaven with the name of the 12 apostles. Amen? So people just don't understand scripture. Now, apostle means one sent, but again, it's more like a picture of a missionary, but we don't want to use that title. But by the way, if you want to be an apostle, let me tell you what happened to the apostles real quick, and then we'll move on to the text. 
James, the brother of John, was killed by King Herod with a sword. We see that in Acts chapter 12. The rest of these are from biblical history, you know, historical accounts. Most believe these to be true. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified upside down. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten, stoned, and clubbed to death. Uh, it's in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Andrew was crucified, but was not bound with nails, but with ropes, but was crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas was speared. Philip was crucified. Matthew was speared. Uh, Thaddeus, or Jude, was crucified. And Simon was crucified. So all these guys that call themselves apostles, I'm like, are you ready for that program, bro? Do you understand that what happened to those? Now, uh, so as believers, I, I want to share this because these men... And, and then early women in the early church were willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. And often we won't even share our faith because we're afraid that the other person might be offended or that the other person won't like us anymore. Guys, we need to get over that and start preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, being unashamed of the gospel. People are coming out of the closet for all kinds of stuff. We need to come out of the closet for Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? It's time for us to recognize that our lives are not our own, and we want to live in such a way that we finish strong for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Amen? So John's not on the list. But as I said earlier, it's not because he was free of, of uh, persecution. There's a man by the name of D D uh, Domitian who was angered by John and what John was teaching, so he had him boiled in oil. But he didn't die because we're indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? The devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow, and we're indestructible until God is through with us. So he was boiled in oil, and then when he didn't die, he just sent him out to the island of Patmos, thinking, well, he can't do any damage there, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get him into that? So he was angered at his inability to kill him, so he exiled him, and again, God continued to use him. All things do work together for good for those who trust God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen? His trials were not for John's comfort, but for God's purpose and God's glory. And the trials that we go through, God will use to mold us more to the image of our Savior and prepare us and make us, again, give us opportunities to preach the gospel to a lost and a dying world. So this John, called, mature, faithful apostle, witness to the words and works of Jesus, an esteemed man of God. He's the guy writing this letter. Do we want to hear from him? And again, we know it's the Holy Spirit, ultimately, that writes it, but it's his hand that uses it. And then it says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. The elect, the called out, the chosen, written to a Christian lady and her children, or ladies like as in the church and a local church. And again, it's symbolic of the church, of a local congregation and its members. We are the bride of Christ. The feminine title used for the church is not foreign in scripture. While it could be a person, my personal belief again is that he's speaking to a local church. When we get to verse 13 next week, they'll say, children of your elect sister. Again, sisters can speak of the church, the children can speak of the members, and it's reference to a local body where John was currently. So he's writing a letter to a local church to encourage them when they're facing inward temptation and outward persecution, inward false teachers as well. So John, lady, the local church, time of, again, that great persecution could have resulted in torture or even death. Can you imagine if 
They put out a law next week that anybody going to church will be arrested, drug into a, a coliseum, and fed to lions. Do you think attendance might go down a little bit at churches around America? But the point is we need to be people that are, are not afraid of the things of this world, and we stand for the things of God. Elect lady, particular Christian woman, again, or a local congregation. Then he says this, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Be it a particular lady or a local church, John's sending along an expression of his love for them. I have pastors who tell me that it's that I'm a little overboard in hugging everybody and telling everybody I love them. But if Jesus was here, he would hug you and he would tell you that he loves you. Can I get an amen to that? And I truly do love you. I truly do pray for you. I'm blessed to serve you in any way that I can. But that's how the body of Christ should operate. And that's what John is saying. Look, to the, to the lady, to the elect lady, to that church, I love you. And he's expressing his love for them as well as the love of the rest of the body of Christ. Not only do I love you, but all Christians love you. You know, not only does the Lord love you, but again, the body of Christ, we're all one in Christ. You've heard me say it, that blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common, and we truly are a family. Amen? That's why I hate not being here. You guys are my family. These are great words of comfort and encouragement as they endure persecution. Here's what they're being told. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I would say that to anybody here that might be going through a difficult time right now. I want you to know you're not alone. The Lord loves you and so do we. Amen? And if you need help, if you need anything, we are here to minister to you. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Notice the emphasis here. He says in that, he says four times, he's going to say four times in the next few verses, is the word truth. Whom I love in truth. Not only all those who have known the truth, Verse 2, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So love in truth. John's making it clear that the source and foundation for his love for them is their common bond in the truth. What do we have in common? We have Jesus in common. Amen? We're his, you know, we have the heavenly father who is, who is our Abba. Amen? So we have him in common and that's what draws us together. Now the love here. It's not a physical love, but a supernatural, spiritual love. A love founded upon their mutual love for the Word of God and the God of the Word. By the way, if you will read the Word of God, you will fall more in love with the God of the Word. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So how do you grow spiritually? You spend more time in God's Word. And you know what the enemy wants you to do? Go home from church today, put your Bible down, and then be looking for it next Sunday because you forgot where you set it down. He wants you to just let that thing collect dust and watch TikTok and Netflix and be caught up on this digital crack right here that we have, that we call telephones, amen? And just be so focused on that that we don't spend enough time with the Lord. And I want to tell you that the more time you spend with the Lord, the more peace you're going to have, the more you're going to be comforted, the more wisdom you're going to have, amen? And yet we try to live this life without him and we need to know that we're not alone, we have a mutual love for the Word of God and the God of the Word. Many write me encouraging letters, and they're often so signed, love in Christ or in Christ's love. And we need to be reminded that we are the body of Christ. So verse 2, he says, because of the truth which abides in us, which will be with us forever. Here we have not only uh, what brings us together in that we have a common bond of agape love and our knowledge of the truth, 
But what else do we have in common? What is this thing that will abide? It's our common bond comes from our common relationship with the Lord. As believers, we should wake up in the morning thinking about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We should walk throughout the day spending time with the Lord. He's more than just Savior. He's the Lord of my life. I know him better than I know my wife or my children. The deepest relationship I have on this planet is the one I have with the Lord. See, the Lord didn't save you, so you could just get a get-out-of-hell-free card and ignore him until judgment day and then pull it out and say, see, Lord, I'm saved. He de- he's designed us, created us to have an intimate relationship with him. And what's amazing is he allows us to have an intimate relationship with him. Amen? Now, our sins separated from us. That's why he sent God the Father sent his son to suffer and die, that we could be redeemed, that we could be forgiven, and we can walk in intimate fellowship with him. Notice it says, because of the truth, or in defense of the truth. As the elect lady is now surrounded by false teachers, those who compromise the truth are rejected altogether. It is into this very arena of false teaching and compromise that John boldly proclaims the truth. We're living in a time where we get shouted down. We're afraid to speak up because we're afraid how people, they might put us in the cancel culture or whatever. Guys, here's the reality. This world is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And if we don't know that, just see what happened last Tuesday. Can I get an amen to that? When you see that pe- what people vote for, the things that they think are acceptable and okay, and the way they shout down anybody that makes a stand for Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? But in the midst of that, we are called to be salt and light. We're called to love people. We're called to be an example of the love and grace and mercy that we have found in our Savior. But it's in that arena that John is boldly speaking. He's not hiding You've heard me say it many times, COVID did, not, uh, def- you know, COVID did not change the church, it defined it. Because the reality is, if we put our faith in the Lord and we submit to the authority God places over you until they tell you to disobey God, and if strip clubs are open and cannabis clubs are open and the grocery stores are open and the church needs to be open because the church is more essential than all of that, and because of that, this church will never close. I don't care if the black plague comes next week and everybody's dropping dead when they get 10 feet away from each other, we're all dropped dead together in this tent because we're having church. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to forsake not the gathering of ourselves together to make God the priority and the passion of our life above all else. You can't threaten me with heaven. Can I get an amen to that? The worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. I'm ready for heaven. I don't know about you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But how often the apostle of love is also linked to the truth. Remember, John would describe himself as the apostle Jesus loved. Not because he was arrogant, because he was blown away that the Lord loved him that much. He was the one who had his head on the chest of our Savior at the Last Supper. He was the last one at the cross, and he was the one who Jesus spoke to and told him to take care of his earthly mom, Mary. So this is John, the apostle of love, but notice he does not fade away from the truth. So it is not loving to fade away from the truth. It is hateful to keep the truth to ourselves. Amen? Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. That's why we speak the truth in love. And John is concerned that the letter's recipients may be tempted to compromise the truth in the name of love. Again, love wins. Not when it's contrary to the truth, it doesn't. And sadly, what was a temptation then is a reality today. The truth of God's word has been compromised in the name of tolerance and acceptance. I was back in Santa Cruz last week, and if you drive through Santa Cruz where I 
pastored for 10 years where I grew up, where I met my wife, where I went to high school, where we went to college. Uh, I tell people it's a tofu tie-dye New Age lesbian capital of the United States. It's about as left wing as that gets. And you drive through town and almost every church has a rainbow out front and we're open and affirming. And look, we're open and affirming for anybody who wants to come to church here because this is a hospital, not a police station. And we want anybody and everybody who comes here to be welcomed and loved. But we will not affirm your sinful behavior as being okay, nor should we affirm the sinful behavior in my life as being okay because sin is wrong. It separates us from God. And we need to repent of that and get right with the Lord. Amen? So it's not open and affirming. It just sounds so loving. We just love every- We love everybody. And we love them enough to tell them the truth. Amen? And we need to do it in love. Again, churches have moved from proclaiming the truth of God's word in boldness, again, to being open and affirming of sinful, rebellious lifestyles in the name of love. John's writing this letter because of the truth, to interject the truth in the midst of lies and compromise of false teachers, to keep those who are in the truth from being falling away. You know how you fall for the lie? You spend less time studying the truth. Amen? If you don't open your Bible, if you don't read it, if you're not spending time in fellowship, the more time you spend away. By the way, there's this huge thing online, people deconstructing their faith. How many of you guys have seen that? And what they're basically saying is, I walked away from God and here's why. And it's never because of what the Word of God says, it's always because of what the world says. And that's why we don't want to listen to the world, we want to listen to the Lord. Notice he says, the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. The word abide there means to dwell. So the truth dwells in us. We don't just know about the truth, but the truth dwells in us. And praise God that the truth is unchanging and everlasting. The truth doesn't change. We don't need any additions to this, these 66 books. Amen? We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away from it. We don't re- need to redefine it. Years ago, there's a thing called the Jesus Seminar. I've shared this with you before where these, quote, scholars read through the Bible, and they had white marbles and black marbles, and they would read a verse, and if they thought Jesus said it, they would put out a white marble. If they thought he didn't, they put out a black marble. If anybody put out a black marble, they just erased it out of their Bible. And so what they did is they had a Bible that wasn't the Bible. They had the partial word of God, and they tailored it to, to feel good about their own lifestyle. By the way, if you come to church here on a Sunday and you don't get convicted, Go find another church. Can I get an amen to that? Conviction is good. Amen? Because what does conviction do? It draws us back to where we need to be, right? The Lord comforts us and he convicts us. You guys get this for an hour. I get it for 25. Believe me, I've been convicted, you know, a whole lot. Holy Spirit head slap. Amen? And, And praise God for conviction because, again, those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. When we sin, we're convicted. Praise God, that means we belong to him. Amen? And when we're studying the word and when we're spending time with the Lord, we should be convicted. It's not just what we know about the truth, but the truth dwells in us and praise God that it's unchanging. Neither the Lord nor his word will ever need to be updated. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing can be, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun, both then and today. And those who attempt to alter Scripture in light of man's latest opinions or to make it more relevant to the culture, that's what, we're going, that's what we have today. New Bibles come out all the time, and they, they take it and retranslate it to fit the culture. Look, we don't adapt to the culture. The culture needs to adapt to the Word of God and to Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we don't follow the culture. We want to minister to the culture. The culture 
is lost. Those who attempt, again, to alter Scripture. Remember, the Gnostics were doing that at that very moment. Again, Gnostic means knowledge, and they said, oh, we've had a special revelation from God, and here's what it is. The spirit and the flesh are two separate things, and the the flesh can't do anything good, so as long as you give your spirit to God, it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh. And they would would just have, you know, out of control, uh, hedonists, saying, I have a relationship with God, but my flesh is wicked, and my flesh is going to be separated anyway. Only my spirit goes to heaven. And that's where they came up with that Jesus was only a spirit, because they believed that that flesh was sinful, and Jesus wasn't a sinner. But they've created a new gospel, and you need to be careful. And and again, the only way you're going to recognize the counterfeit is you know the truth. You've heard this many times from me before as well, that I don't know if they still do it, but they used to when they trained tellers, they would just give them real money. Have them touch it, feel it, look at it, smell it, hold it, have it in their hand. They never gave them counterfeit money. They just gave them real money. So when you know the real money, someone hands you something counterfeit, you immediately know that's not real. Amen? And guys, we don't need to study the counterfeit. We just need to know the truth. And if we know the truth, we'll recognize the counterfeit when it comes. Amen? I have a Mormon say, have you ever ever read the Book of Mormon? I said, no. I'm not reading it. Why not? Because it's a fairy tale written by a guy who had 40 wives and took other people's wives who died in a gunfight and is a false prophet. Why would I read that nonsense? I'm not reading that. Amen? I don't need to read that. If some apologist wants to read it to have a defense against the Mormons, God bless them. I'm just going to know the truth so I don't fall for the lie. Amen? Let's read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Amen? Let's spend time in God's Word so we know what it says. They need to look at man's latest opinions in the modern culture Again, in light of the truth of God's word instead of the other way around. And he says, he will be with us forever. Isn't that good to know? Do you know you have eternal life? If you're born again this morning, you have eternal life already. It doesn't start when you die. You already have it. Amen? It says this in Isaiah 40, and it's quoted also in 1 Peter. All flesh is his grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. People used to say to me, and I still hear it from time to time, you know, you pastors, you act like the Bible is the fourth part of the Trinity. You guys are so into your Bible. I said, well, it's actually not the fourth part of the Trinity. It's the second part of the Trinity because Jesus is the Word. Can I get an amen to that? So guys, if we want to know the Word, who Jesus is better, we need to spend time in His Word. He wrote us a love letter. He wrote it down. People have died so we could have this in our arms. People laid down their lives so we could open up the Bible and read it. He gave us the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And yet, most Christians don't open their Bible during any given week. Again, opinions of men, the lives of false teachers will come and go. But God's word, the truth, will endure forever, as will those in whom the truth dwells. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. How many of you want grace? Amen? So what is grace? It's unmerited, undeserved favor. It's being given something you don't deserve. Do any of us deserve heaven? What's the answer? But by God's grace, he has given it to us. He sent his son to suffer and die that our price might be paid that his grace would be poured out upon us. So because it is grace, it's not something we earned, we should never be arrogant about having it. Amen? 
And we should never view it as a paycheck, like something that we earned. Look at, all, look at all the things I did for God. He's just so blessed to have me on his side. No, that's not the case. We're all blessed to be on his side. Amen? It's only by his grace. And so grace for us, you know, and we, we appreciate that. And then he also says mercy. So grace is being given something you don't deserve, and mercy is not being given something you do deserve. What do we all deserve? What is it? We deserve hell. Have you ever even taken time to just think about hell for even five minutes? And imagine what hell must be like. And imagine what it must be like when you end up in hell and you've been there for three minutes and you realize you're going to be there for all eternity. See, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. And the fact that we, by the mercy of God, are not going to hell should be something that causes us to just rejoice and praise our God all day long. Amen? We've been delivered. We deserve it, but we're not going What a gracious, what a merciful God. Thank you, Lord, for not giving me what I deserve. And then he says, peace. See, only through grace and mercy can we have peace. The word peace there is shalom. And again, it's always in this order, grace, mercy, and peace. See, it's by the grace of God and the mercy of God that we can have peace. We can know the prince of peace and we can live lives free. And peace is not the absence of war. It's not that everything is perfect in our circumstances. What peace is, peace is the fact that we have intimate fellowship with the Prince of Peace, that we can have peace in the midst of the storm. No matter what's going on around us, we can keep our eyes on the Lord. It's only through grace and mercy that we can have peace. Notice it says of grace and mercy, we'll be with you. We'll be with you. John's confidently pronounces grace, mercy, and peace will be with them. No peace if you and I attempted to attain it any other way, apart from the grace and mercy of God. Good works won't get you into heaven. You know what? You can give to charity and you should. Won't get you into heaven. You can be a nice person to your neighbors and you should, but it won't get you into heaven. Reading your Bible by itself is a wonderful thing, but if you read it and you don't give your life to the Lord, it won't get you into heaven. Going to church won't get you into heaven if you've not given your life to the Lord. Going into confession, into a box, and telling some guy your sin and having him tell you how many times a pair of vain repetition is not going to save you either, amen? Religion doesn't save you. Good works don't save you. Being a nice person doesn't save you. Thinking you're a good man or woman doesn't save you because there are no good men or women. Can I get an amen to that? Bible says so. So the only thing that can save us is not who we are, but whose we are. The one that we belong to is the reason that we're going to heaven, He's adopted us into his family. Sometimes I think about that when I'm driving between sales calls and I just weep thinking, Jesus adopted me and I didn't deserve it. Notice the source of the grace. Look what it says. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father and the Son are coupled together as equals in dispensing grace and mercy and peace. Again, the Gnostics taught that Jesus was just the Spirit and that his flesh would have been evil if he had had flesh. And here they're getting corrected. The son of the father, John keeping in view the miraculous conception of Christ. Again, he's always been, he always will be. Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator. Amen. The Bible says he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. See, here's where Christianity is different from every other, all the other false religions, because they're all false, is that all the other false religions have deify, edify man, and they bring God down. They think they can be more like God. Joseph Smith, they teach, the Mormon church teaches that you can be God of your own planet. 
And they teach that the God of our planet used to be a man on another planet that was so good he got to be God of our planet. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. But you know what? All the cults do the same. They make God less and man more. The other thing that's true of all the cults, all their founders are dead. We can dig up their bones. Amen? But Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. I've been in the tomb. He's not there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us. And you know what? He's preparing a place for us. And when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory, and we're going to see our Savior face to face. Amen? Guys, we should be excited about that. The Son of the Father, again. And then it says, in truth and love. John can hardly write a verse without mentioning the two of these favorite topics. Truth and love must go together. The grace, mercy, and peace of God has for us are given in truth and love. Apart from God's truth and love, we can never really have grace, mercy, and peace. The world says they're looking for the truth. We have the truth. A lot of people don't like it. You Christians are arrogant. You act like you're the ones that have the truth. No, we're not arrogant. We just know by God's grace that we have the truth. Amen? It is the truth. By the way, how many prophecies did Muhammad fulfill when he was born? How many prophecies did L. Ron Hubbard? How many prophecies did any of these false teachers that came along? What, there's over 200 Old Testament prophecies pointing to the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled them all. Amen? Again, who decides where they're going to be born unless you're God? Amen? It says in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born of a virgin. That eliminates everybody, just those two. Amen? And so the reality is that recognizing who Jesus is, it's not arrogance to believe the truth. It's assurance that we know the truth because we don't know about Jesus. We know Jesus. The truth doesn't just something that we believe out here, but it says here that the truth dwells within us. We have the assurance of who we are in Christ. Genuine love will not compromise truth, compromise on what the word of God says. No love in truth, if there's, no, if there's no truth, it's not love. And if there's no love, truth is hard to receive. It says this in 1 Corinthians, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Even the most profound truths delivered without love become nothing more than irritating noise. Like grace and peace, truth and love, they must go together. So point number one, truth and love abides in every believer. So if you're here this morning, you've given your life to the Lord, you don't just know the truth, the truth abides in you. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. You've been born again, you have the promise of eternal life. Point number two, walk in truth. Verse four, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Notice that this is the heart of the apostle. This is the heart, again, of every parent, every pastor, every Christian. The heart is that, says in Third John, I know no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. There's nothing I want more than to have my children love Jesus. Amen. And you've heard me say this before, that I'll talk to people, and, and I was catching up with a lot of people in Santa Cruz because I hadn't seen them in a while. And, you know, and, and none of them said this, but people will say this from time to time. They'll say, how are your kids doing? Oh, they're doing great. Just got a promotion at work. You know, they just bought a house. They're pregnant with their first child. And they'll talk about things that are blessings and wonderful. And then they'll get to the end and go, well, they're doing all that really well. Well, they're not walking with the Lord. They've kind of totally rejected their faith. And they don't believe Jesus is God anymore. But other than that, they're doing great. Well, they're not doing great then, amen? 
I'd rather have my kids digging ditches and loving Jesus than being, you know, in the Fortune 500 and not having a relationship with the Lord because true riches come from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? John advancing in years, life coming to an end. His focus isn't on making a great name for himself as he had when he was young. Remember that John, when John first came on the scene, he was one of the sons of thunder. You guys remember that? Have you ever noticed that the closer you get to the Lord, the more you recognize how sinful you are? Amen. Remember the apostle Paul? I'm the least of the apostles. You get to the end of his life, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Because the closer we get to the Lord, the more we're grieved by the sin in our own life. Amen. And John, early on, they wanted to call fire down from heaven. Do you remember that? Lord, smoke them all. That was John. John was the one, probably put his mom, I, I think they put their mom up to it. They came along and she said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys sit at your right and your left hand side? It's only in the gospel of John that we see that John beat Peter to the tomb. He wanted to make sure everybody knew he was faster than Peter, right? So, so John early on was kind of that guy. He was a, a young man, impetuous, and, and, you know, and then, he, then he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he walked with the Lord. And now he's a disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's a man who focuses on love and grace and mercy. And my prayer would be that as we get closer to the Lord, that would be true of us as well. Amen? Not just wanting to be right. I see this on social media too much. You see two people arguing, and one's a Christian and one's not. And the one that's arguing is, is so hateful and so heavy-handed that they might win the argument, but they lost the opportunity to minister to somebody. Amen? Just meet them where they are. Be loving, be kind, be gracious. Isn't that what Jesus did? Amen? Woman caught in adultery. Did he, say, did he pick up a rock with the other guys and throw one at her? Or did he say, where are your accusers? Then he said, go and sin no more. And like, guys, we need to be loving, and we need to reach out to people with the kindness and the grace that God has shown us. He's not as judgmental as he once was, that son of, son of thunder calling down fire from the sky. Now he's a loving apostle. He's, he no longer promotes himself, but he points others to Jesus. The source of his greatest joy was seeing others walk in the truth. There's nothing, there's nothing I love more than seeing when someone gets saved. And not just that, but, but seeing them get saved real good, as my dad would say. Because we can pray a prayer and walk an aisle and, and our lives don't change and we didn't really give our life to the Lord. Um, the guy that's the pastor of the Calvary in Capitola, where I was last Sunday, I still can remember the day he and his wife walked into Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. It was kind of a God thing because he'd been invited to church. He shared this on Sunday when he introduced me. And he said, and I didn't want to go, but this lady kept telling me I need to go to church. So I just was going to church to shut her up. I was just going to go say, see, I went. Now leave me alone. So he goes to church and he went to the wrong church. She told him Calvary Chapel, well, there was one in Aptos. He looked online, or wasn't even online back then. He looked in the phone book or something. And he came to our church and he walked in. He goes, oh, so-and-so invited me. I had no idea who that was, but our church was pretty large and I didn't, maybe she goes here. I don't know. So I'm like, well, great. I'm glad you're here. And he came. And as he said on Sunday, he said, as soon as I sat down and God's word was opened, it pierced my heart. And three weeks later, he gave his life to the Lord. And now he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Capitola. He got saved real good. Can I get an amen to that? 
And when, after he introduced me, I got up there to talk about him. I just started weeping because I know no greater joy than to know that my children or the people that I love are walking in the truth. Amen. And if we truly, if that's truly our heart, shouldn't we be praying for him by name? Amen. Shouldn't we write down the names of family and friends that aren't saved and just start praying for them? By the way, Tom Burnett, how many of you guys remember me asking you to pray for him? Who remembers that? Hardly anybody. See, he didn't write it down. That's what happens. One of my clients was diagnosed with stage four cancer and about three or four months ago, maybe, maybe been six months ago, I got up and said, I'm praying for him every day and I want you to pray with me for him. I may have mentioned it a couple of times. He called me the other day and he said, it was something about his, his business. And I said, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. How are you doing health-wise? He said, oh, you're not going to believe it. They, came, they, they gave me this, this new treatment and my cancer's in remission, and I'm doing better, and they think I'm going to be completely healed. And I said, you know who did that? <laughs> and he said, make sure you tell everybody in your church that prayed for me, thank you very much. And that's an opportunity for the gospel when we have faith that God can do things like that, and we tell people we're going to pray for them. And I told him when I told him, I said, when it happens, you need to give God the glory because God's going to be the one who did it. Amen? Let's start praying for people by name. If we know no greater joy than to see people saved. It says there, he rejoiced greatly. To rejoice and be glad with exceeding measure. Older we get physically, the more mature we become spiritually, the more our focus moves from temporal to eternal, the less we care about worldly accomplishments. Who cares? Who cares? By the way, the older I get, the better I was. How about you? I told people another 10 years, I'm gonna, I would have won the Heisman Trophy probably in college. But the reality is that the further we get from it, the less we, we, you know, we even grasp it. But as believers, what really matters? What really matters? Did two funerals in two weeks for Tom and Jack, and they both love Jesus, and they're both in heaven, and we're going to see them again. Does anything else matter besides that? Amen. You guys all know my 14 months ago, my son Mark went to heaven. I miss him every single day, but I'm going to see him again. All of us here have people that, that we love that have gone before us that we're so looking for. Can you imagine what it's going to be like the first 10 minutes in heaven? How many hugs are you going to get then? Amen. Hugging Jesus first, and then I'm gonna, there's my, my parents, my son, all these people that love the Lord. Guys, that's, our, that's, our, that's the ultimate 401k. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. It's that peace, it's that joy that we have in him. I have found some of your children walking in the truth. Your children. So it's either this elected lady's children or, ch or the people within the congregation. They're walking in the truth, not meandering off and on the narrow path. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. As Christians, we don't wander on and off the, the path. You know, we, we have times when we're sinful, we're convicted, we're drawn back to the Lord. But it's not something we dabble with. As Christians, it shouldn't be, how close can I get to falling off the cliff and not fall off? We don't want to see how far we can go and still be saved. Our heart should be to walk as intimately and closely to the Lord as we possibly can. We're walking in intimate daily fellowship with the Lord, persisting in a Christian course, not turning to the right or to the left, but passionately pursuing the Lord and walking in obedience to his word. Notice he says there, I have found. 
I have found. The word had gotten back to John, be it by letter or traveling evangelist or personal contact, that some of your children are walking. John rejoiced exceedingly that in the midst of all the false teachers and all the false doctrine that was becoming more and more prevalent, that in the face of great persecution, there were some who were walking in the truth and faithfully following the Lord. It blessed him beyond measure. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. That means I dealt with teenagers on purpose (laughs) for 15 years. And I still get calls from time to time. Well, someone will call me and they will say, and it will just, it will make my day. I'll cry for the whole day. Had one not long ago and it was a young gal and she just called me up and she said, Pastor Dave, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I remember you. She said, I know when I was in youth group, I didn't really pay attention and I didn't really want anything to do with it. And I kind of you know, just had an attitude every time I came to church. My parents made me come. She said, I've been wanting to find you for a while. I went on Facebook and said, I just want you to know that 10 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. I married a Christian man. I have children who love the Lord, were really plugged in to a local church. And I just want you to know that the word didn't return void because God used what you said all those years ago to minister to my heart. Now, can there be any better thing than that? Just knowing that people are walking in the truth. We must not be defeated and overwhelmed by those who reject the truth while we continue to pray for them and reach out to them as the Spirit leads, but our focus should be on the fruit that God has produced. Too often we look at those who've walked away from the Lord. This is a good reminder to be excited about those who've given their lives to the Lord. Amen? We look around and we say, oh, but look at all these people who aren't walking with the Lord. Let's pray for them. But we should also be blessed by those who are walking with the Lord. Amen? We can be overwhelmed by those who reject the Lord. Praise God for that. Final point, along with walking in truth, walk in love. Look at verse 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. John, in the midst of the letter, focused on believing, teaching, and walking in truth, and standing, in fa- standing fast in the face of false teachers. Now he's going to take time to bring the balance to the truth of the message with pleading and exhortation and a reminder to love one another. Love and truth, again, are not mutually exclusive. Both should be evident in the life of the believer. Notice he used the word plead there. It means to interrogate, request, ask, beseech, desire. He's, I plead with you, local church, or I plead with you, lady in your house. John knew this was nothing new to his readers. He repeated throughout the gospel, throughout 1 John, yet because it was so essential, it had to be repeated and used as a reminder. People ask me all the time why I'm repetitive. I'm very repetitive. I know that, okay? But you know why I'm repetitive? Because the Bible's repetitive, Amen. And then people, people that will ask me that, I had a guy in Santa Cruz who goes, man, you're so repetitive. I go, what did I teach last Sunday? His eyes glazed over. I'm not repetitive enough, evidently. (laughs) John's being repetitive about love because it's something we can't talk about enough. Amen? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is? Now, word love, that's agape. That's a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. I truly believe that agape is then defined by everything behind it. Joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. All those things are fruit of agape love. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. So we cannot say that we are born again truly and we're walking in the Spirit if we have not love. And we cannot really be used by the Lord if we don't have love. 
I've shared this with you before as well, because I'm repetitive. But this guy, this guy came to me while, you know, this was years ago. This was back in Santa Cruz. And he just said, I really want to serve in ministry. And I, I really want to get really plugged into this church. But I just want you to know up front, I want to serve in ministry. I just don't like people. <laughs> and I go, what? And he said, yeah, you know, I just, I want to just get up and teach. Or I, I want to, you know, but I just don't like people. I said, so you're applying to be a shepherd, but you hate sheep. That's a problem. <laughs> Amen? Guys, there needs to be love. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's evidence of who we are in Christ. You know, it's sad because a lot of the church today is, and it's, some of it's wrong, but some of it's rightfully true, that we're known for what we're against more than what we're for. And as believers, that should not be so. Amen? We should be loving. We're the most loving people on the planet. That which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. The reason the church today is not as effective as it could be in reaching the world for Jesus is not because we are lacking in truth and clear godly direction, not more or a new truth that we're lacking, but obedience to what we've already been told. John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Guys, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and that fruit of the Holy Spirit begins with love. Again, do people need to be loved today? What's the answer? I did a funeral many years ago. This guy came to our church, and he was a homeless guy. And Santa Cruz has a huge homeless population, and this guy would come every week. He was a really big guy. Almost all his teeth were gone. He always looked really disheveled, and he would come into church almost kind of ashamed and I would always run when he came and meet him at the door and give him the biggest hug I possibly could. I'd squeeze that brother tight, got the life out of him almost. And, and he would always say, you don't have to hug me. I don't smell, I don't smell good. You know, I haven't, had a, I haven't had a chance to have a shower in a while. Hug him anyways. And so this guy came to our church for years. He eventually, we had a little kitchen. He ended up working in the kitchen and serving people. And when he passed away, when he went to heaven, his whole family came from the East Coast and they sat in the front row. And what we did is we did a service and then we had his funeral right afterward. And his parents came up to me and his brother and his sister came up to me, tears running down their face. And they said, our brother would send us letters and he would always say the highlight of his week was when he went to church on Sunday and his pastor gave him a hug. Guys, we need to be loving on each other. Can I get an amen to that? We don't know what people are going through. We don't know what trials they're having. We don't know what difficulty they have. And you know what? When God wants to use, wants to hug somebody, sometimes he wants to use your arms. Amen? If someone needs a word of encouragement, sometimes he wants to use your lips. Last verse. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in. Here we have the definition of love. It's not the way the world defines it. It's not a butterfly feeling in your stomach. Agape love goes far beyond that. Love is a choice that produces an action. This is agape that we walk according to the commandments. Agape is revealed in obedience to the word of God. An obedience that sees its commands not as heavy burdens, but as gifts from God that guide us to what is best for us. Again, you've heard me say this too. You know, the law and the word of God is not a fence to keep you from having fun. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Amen? And so the word of God protects us. 
The commands of God direct us. And if we walk in obedience to them, that's the highest form of worship. Because what we're saying, Lord, is what you've commanded me to do, I will do that because I love you and I trust that you know what is best for me. Amen? And so he's exhorting them, this agape, walking according to his commandments, it's a reve- it reveals a heart to be obedient to the word of God. An obedience that sees his commands, again, not as heavy burdens, but as gifts from God. This obedient love is revealed not only in our actions toward the Lord and his commands, but our love for each other. And we should be the most loving people. I met guys at the retreat that I had never met before. And after two days, there was, I was closer to them than a lot of people that I'm related to that don't know the Lord. Amen? Because when we have Jesus in common, we have that common love for each other, and there's just something supernatural that takes place. Then he closes off with saying, this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. This is the love is far more than a vague or empty emotion. It is a command that produces an action. You don't simply meditate on it, but we need to walk in it. Amen? May we love one another. And again, people need to be loved. And again, the Lord wants to use us. So in closing, standing for the truth in love, obeying God's command to love without compromising the truth. Number one, we are to walk in obedience to his commands. And then truth and love abides in every believer. You don't just know about the truth. The truth dwells in us. The truth doesn't change because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Neither the Lord nor his word ever need to be updated. And grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Not only that, we need to walk in the truth. Not, not truth, no truth, not love, right? If we don't have, we, we need to have the truth, but we need to do it in love. Rejoicing greatly that others walk in the truth, not walking by the truth, not being around the truth, but walking in it. And then not only walking in the truth, but walking in love. There's no love. The truth is hard to receive. Love and truth are not mutually exclusive. Both truth, both should be evident in the life of every believer. Love is a choice. You know, Jack was 10 days away from being 100. And Jack could be salty, but man, didn't you just love that brother? Can I get an amen to that? We should just put like a jack-only seat right there because he said, but, you know, but the sight, you know, and he had that rah, 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 World War II vet, rah, 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 you know, get after you. But that was, a, that was a term of endearment from him. But I also saw the soft side of Jack and just the loving side of Jack. He would come up often after the service. He'd be the first one to the pulpit. He'd have tears running down his face. And he'd say, I need you to share what you just shared with my family because I know that I'm going to heaven. I want to make sure they're going too. See, it's that softness that's in the heart of every true believer. Amen? As Christians, we shouldn't grow old and crusty. Amen? We should be kind and loving. And the closer we get to the Lord, the more we should love others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Help us, Lord, to walk in the truth, to do it in love, to not compromise the truth, but, Lord, to be faithful to it. And, Lord, we know that we can't do this without you. It's not us trying harder. It's not us doing better. Lord, we need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, without it, we can't do it. Hadn't planned on doing this, but if you're here today, the Bible talks about the Spirit being with us, in us, and upon us. He was with us at salvation before we were saved. The world calls in their conscience. But when we gave our life to the Lord, he came to live inside of us. And now we're born again and we're going to heaven. But Jesus breathed the Spirit into the apostles in Luke, but then he told them in Acts to go and wait for the Holy Spirit just to come upon you. Whether that's baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as my dad used to say, whatever, whatever you want to call it, just get it. Amen? 
And I think the reason that we're not as loving as we should be is we need more of the Holy Spirit and less of us. Amen? As John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. If you're here this morning, and you, you know what? And I pray for, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit every single day because I leak. Amen? But if you're here and you want to be prayed for, that you'd be filled afresh again with the Holy Spirit, just stand up and I want to pray for you. Anybody at all? God bless you. God bless you. God bless all of you guys. God bless you. God bless you. You know what? I'm standing with you. I'm standing with you. Heavenly Father, you see all of us who are standing. We come humbly before you. Lord, we know that we're born again. We know that we have your Holy Spirit inside of us. But Lord, we want you to fill us afresh. We want to die to ourselves. Less of us and more of you. So Lord, everyone who stands, I pray you just pour out your Spirit upon them. Your Spirit would flow out of them on the world around them. They would use us mightily for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, we confess we can't do this without you. Lord, we need more of you and less of us. Lord, help, we pray. Support your spirit upon them and stir up the gifts you've given them and give them opportunities and divine appointments to share with a lost and a dying world the hope that lies within them. Lord, we ask, and your word tells us if we ask, that you will pour out your spirit upon us. We thank you for filling us afresh because, Lord, we need it. Lord, help us to be loving, to be kind, to be gracious. Help us to represent you well. Help us to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. Help us to be loving in our marriages, loving to our children, in our workplaces, everywhere we go. Use us for your kingdom and your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.